0: Hello, this is Lafayette Faust, creator of the Nevermore Hollows podcast. Thank you for making the show a success. Please take a moment to subscribe, give five stars, comment, and share the show with your friends. It's the best way to help us grow and to be able to continue to provide quality horror content. Also please support our new art director, Chris Madman Goins at Black Sheep Studios TN on Instagram. He has some amazing Nevermore Hollows art for sale, signed by the both of us, as well as many other original pieces I think you're going to love. Now, for you horror hounds who like to have a good laugh, I invite you to check out my other podcast, It's called The Three Uncool Cats. In it, my two friends and I sit in a basement and discuss music, movies, and whatever else comes into our warped minds. I would really appreciate it if you would give it a listen. Now, with that out of the way, I invite you to sit back, turn on a light, and prepare yourself. Welcome back to Nevermore Hollows. I am Lafayette Faust, and I expose the evil that preys upon this otherwise quaint little town. Tonight, we have another story from the memoirs of Tiberius Poe, a paranormal investigator that lives here in town. It is as physically disgusting as it is mentally troubling. It's called Tiberius Poe and the Case of the Devil Fruit, and I invite you to sit back, turn on a light, and prepare yourself. My name is Tiberius Poe. I'm a private detective who specializes in cases where conventional investigative methods cannot be applied. I'm the guy who gets called when the dead rise or when amputated body parts start showing up inside creepy little dolls stashed around town. My secretary, Marlene Bloom, told me that if I didn't start documenting my macabre cases, she would. I trust Marlene with my life, but I don't trust her to write my story. Not because I think she would get the details wrong, but because she sees me as a badass who has it all figured out. The reality is that I'm winging it. I mean, does anyone really know what to do when a client is convinced a shapeshifter is eating the neighborhood pets? I feel that if Marlene were to write about these cases, she'd portray me as a mixture of Sherlock Holmes and Chuck Norris. However, in the cases I work, logic cannot be used, and I can tell you from much experience that a wrist lock does not work against vampires. I do, however, let Marlene name my cases, though her titles stray towards hyperbole. She has named this case Tiberius Poe and the Case of the Devil Fruit. I was in my office, which sits above Lost Souls' Tattoo and Piercings, when I got a call from Ivan Ivanovich. He is to live-in custodian at the Pink Flamingos Trailer Park, which is located five miles outside of town. He's a man I trust, though I don't know much about his past. He looks a fit fifty, but I sense he's older. And considering the trailer park is a hotbed for paranormal activity, he's one of the few in town who knows the truth of what lurks in the shadows lusting for our ruin. What can I do for you, Ivan? I asked. The way Ivan spoke and carried himself suggested he'd spent a lot of time in the military. He got straight to the point. Rory and Stevie have found something disturbing growing in an overgrown garden at the back of the trailer park. I think you need to see. The Pink Flamingo's trailer park was where the poorest of the townsfolk lived. It was also a haven for the freaks and the forlorn and those who are hiding from the law. Rory Boudreau and Stevie Mews were two 12-year-old boys who had the misfortune of living there, and they got into all kinds of paranormal misadventures. ''Can you tell me what it is?'' I said. ''I don't know what it is,'' Ivan said. ''My gut tells me it's something only you can figure out.'' I told him I'd be right over and stepped out of my office into the lobby. Marlene sat at her desk reading a horror novel. She looked up and said, ''What is it this time? Zombies? Serial killer sisters?'' I shrugged. ''Neither?'' Ivan Ivanovich tells me something strange is growing in a garden at the edge of the park. Marlene sat up and put her book on the desk. I wonder if it's got something to do with the strange seeds people have been getting in the mail. What do you mean? I asked. People all over the country have been getting these seeds, she explained. They aren't like any seed on record, though they look similar to pumpkin seeds. I read that a woman in Oklahoma planted them... "'but some federal government types in dark suits and dark cars "'came to her house and dug up all the plants and hauled them off. "'Nobody knows why.' "'That wasn't a comforting bit of information. "'Where do these seeds come from?' "'Nobody knows,' Marlene said. "'The packages have no return label nor any information attached.' "'Her eyes glimmered behind her nerd glasses. "'Can I come with you, Tiberius?' I need to be part of this case. Marlene walked into my office last Halloween. She was carrying a Dean Kuntz novel and told me she was going to be my secretary. I told her I could not afford a secretary, and she replied that she did not need payment. Since then, she had shown up every day without fail. I'd felt guilty enough about not paying her that I bought her tacos on the day she didn't bring a lunch. But a few weeks back, I worked a case that made me very wealthy and I was able to start paying her, though she initially resisted. She had never in all these months asked to be part of a case. Okay, I said. Let's go. She dog-eared the page she was on and closed the cover. She opened a drawer and retrieved a Glock 9mm, which she then put into a backpack she used as a purse. Awesome! Let's go. How long have you had that gun? I asked. Since my first day on the job, she said, it's for when I have to save your life. I found it curious how she would often tell me she was going to someday save my life. I am an experienced martial artist, and I carry my own Sig 40 caliber. However, as usual, I just accepted what she said and moved forward. We drove to the trailer park in my black 71 blazer that I had restored to mint condition. It was late afternoon when we turned past the flamboyant sign that sat at the entrance. It sported two flamingos outlined in pink neon, and at night, some of the letters burned brighter than the others. If you read only those letters, the sign reads, In Flames Trailer Park. We stopped at the teal-colored building that served as the office. Ivan stood beside the park's pink and white golf cart he'd modified with a gas engine. I introduced him to Marlene. Marlene cocked her head at Ivan, looking like a curious cat. She was accustomed to calling everyone she met by their first name as if she'd known them her whole life. "'May I ask you a question, Ivan?' "'Yes,' he replied. "'Have you ever been in space?' Ivan stiffened ever so slightly, and I caught that he had to work to keep his eyes from shooting wide. Of course not. Why do you ask? Marlene's green eyes glimmered. I'm not so sure that was an honest answer, Ivan. Ivan scowled as he held her glimmery gaze. We need to get going. Hop in the cart and I'll take you to the boys'. The cart was surprisingly fast as Ivan zipped down Apollo Lane toward the far side of the park. The July sun cast everything in a golden glow, and with the birds singing and the cicadas buzzing, you could almost forget that the park was inhabited by some pretty nasty witches and had once been the home to Nevermore Hollow's deadliest serial killer. We turned onto Gemini Lane that ended at a small lot that had long ago been a neat flower garden. It was now overgrown with weeds and brambles and was partially shaded by a massive live oak covered in Spanish moss. Ivan parked beside two rusty bikes. We stepped out of the cart and heard voices coming from the other side of the tree. That will be Rory and Stevie, Ivan said. I told them to keep an eye on what they found. We stepped into the lot and walked through the high grass to the other side of the tree. The boys stood near a six-foot-tall plant that looked similar to a corn stalk. It was covered with ten thick purple bulbs. I already knew Rory and Stevie, but introduced them to Marlene. They were instantly taken with her nerdy beauty and eccentric confidence. Both boys were twelve, but different in every other way. Stevie was quiet thoughtful and had lived in nevermore hollows his whole life rory was bold impulsive and had moved here with his mom from new orleans a few months back tell them what you told me ivan said rory nodded at stevie indicating for him to begin the story Okay. So we were talking to Sister Gardenia, the the psychic who lives over in Trailer 14. She told us she was walking her poodle this morning, and when they passed this lot, she got a burst of creepy energy from something in this garden. So we we um, thought it would be cool to come and see what might be here. Neither boy had a father in their lives. Stevie's walked out when he was a baby, and Rory's was killed back in New Orleans. They glanced at Ivan, who they had come to see as a father figure. Ivan gave them a Clint Eastwood grimace and said, Not a wise move, considering everything we've dealt with in this trailer park. Both boys sheepishly nodded. Yeah, but looky here, Rory said in his Cajun patois. When we peeled open that bulb right over there, we done seen some devil fruit. It scared the crap out of us, Mr. Poe, and we ran off and told Mr. Ivan. I looked over at the plant. The bulbs looked like malignant polyps. They showed me, Ivan said. Then I called you. Which bulb did you open, I asked. Rory pointed, and Marlene and I walked over and found the bulb in question. Its bruise colored petals had been peeled back, revealing what appeared to be... A human heart. Thick, black veins exited the heart and melded into the stalk. The whole mess was covered in a dark, gelatinous goo. "'That's not something you see every day,' Marlene said. "'Poke it and see what happens.' I shot Marlene a glance, ready to tell her that that was a bad idea. But it struck me that I was probably going to do that anyway. I found a stick that had once been used to tie up plants. Marlene nodded, spurring me on, and I poked the heart with the tip of the stick. The heart quivered, then gave two quick beats. "'Dabby, gross,' Rory said. "'It's fascinating,' said Stevie. "'I think you should open another one,' Marlene said. I handed her the stick, then began working on the bulb directly below the one containing the heart." I peeled back the petals to reveal two slime-covered eyeballs. They also had thick veins that melded into the stalk. Yeah, that's nasty, I said. This is delightfully disturbing, Marlene said. A plant growing human organs. I was forming a theory. This isn't supernatural. Someone modified this plant's DNA. Ivan grunted his disapproval. "'What makes you think that?' he said. "'Altered DNA seems to be the only theory that works,' I said. "'This reminds me of that old story, Attack of the Pod People,' Marlene said. "'Yeah, but whatever is happening here is much more sinister,' I replied. "'Okay,' Ivan said. "'Who is doing this and why?' "'I think the only way to find out is to watch,' Stevie said. "'I saw where the boy was going with this line of thought. "'You're suggesting a stakeout?' "'Stevie's eyes were bright with excitement. "'Yeah, I mean, it seems to me that whoever planted this "'will eventually come to take care of it.' "'I looked at the stalk as I considered Stevie's suggestion.' The safest and sanest thing to do was to dig up the plant with its strange fruit, burn it, and salt the earth where it bloomed. But the investigator in me knew that we needed to solve this mystery. Okay, I said. The heart and eyes are fully developed. Someone will come to harvest, probably at night under the cover of dark. We might even get lucky tonight, but first, I have a hunch that I want to follow. I say we meet back here at dusk. Ivan assured me that nobody in the park knew that we had found the plant, so I took a few pictures and plucked one of the bruise-colored petals. We then parted ways until later. What's this hunch? Marlene said as we exited the park. She was putting the petal in a plastic evidence bag from a stash I keep in the glove box. Ever heard of CRISPR? I asked. Marlene had been lounging in the seat with her feet upon the dash, which kind of annoyed me. When I posed my question, she removed her feet and sat up straight. Yes, I have. CRISPR is an acronym for Clustered Regularly Interspace Short Palindromic Repeats. It's basically a technology where scientists are splicing DNA. The way I understand it, it's like snipping out a specific gene here and there and replacing them with the DNA from other sources. Exactly, I said. Her green eyes seemed to sparkle with tiny fireflies. So, where are we going? To Alyssa's, I said. I want to get her take on this. It took us thirty minutes to make it to Alyssa Hart's office. She is the coroner for Nevermore Hollows, and I consult with her on a lot of cases. I parked beside her powder blue 66 VW bus, and we entered through the back door. We found Alyssa in the autopsy room, which had not changed much since it was built in the 1950s. It has those old hospital green tiles on the floor and halfway up the walls. There was a stainless steel autopsy table in the center of the room and eight cadaver refrigeration units in the far wall. She was bent over a small body, about the size of a toddler, that was strapped to the autopsy table. She glanced up when we walked into the room, and her eyes shot up in happy surprise. She gave Marlene a friendly hug. Tiberius, I was just getting ready to call you. I looked at the body strapped to the table. It was hairless, had a mouth full of needle-sharp teeth and four short tentacles dangling from its chin. What the hell is that? Alyssa rubbed her hands together, her eyes bright with wonder. I'm not sure. Sheriff Mosley brought it in to me this morning. He said a group of these creatures attacked Morningstar Sanitarium last night and an old hippie janitor there named Clyde killed them. I thought you might want to meet with the old hippie and get some more information. I looked at the little beast on the table. I'll call him after I finish the case I'm on now. Did he tell you what he thinks these things are? He did, Alyssa said. He says they're gnomes. She saw the look on my face. I know, right? Doesn't look anything like the gnomes we see in storybooks, but Clyde swears that's what they are. So, you're working a case and you need my help? Alyssa had been the coroner here for over 20 years. She knows about the evil, has seen it up close. She has cleaned up the carnage it leaves behind and acts as resident scientists when we bring her the bodies of paranormal entities. "'such as the gnome strapped to her table. "'She loves being part of the small group "'that I call upon to help with my investigations. "'Yes, I have something Ivan found at the trailer park. "'I'd like to get your thoughts. "'I showed her the pics of the plant with its hideous polyps. "'Well, that's a human heart,' she confirmed. "'The same with the eyeballs. "'This town never fails to keep me in giddy wonder.' Well, if the pictures have gotten you excited, you're going to love this. I pulled the evidence bag from my pocket and handed it to her. This is one of the petals. She snatched the bag from me and took a seat at a counter against the wall that contained scientific equipment and a computer. She took the petal from the bag and put it under a microscope. Why didn't you bring me one of the hearts or the eyeballs? We think someone is going to come tonight and harvest them, I said. I didn't want to disturb the plant too much to cause suspicion. After we're done here, we're going back to set up a surveillance. Alyssa looked at Marlene. That sounds like fun. Are you getting to help? Marlene gave a cute shrug and arched her eyebrows in delight. Yes. Aren't you jealous? I have not been on a stakeout in a long time. I shot Marlene a glance, realizing that I didn't know anything about her past. Since she showed up at my office, all we talked about were horror books and the cases I was working. You've been on stakeouts before? Of course, Tiberius. Don't you think that if I'm going to take care of you, I'd need to have that experience? You've been with me for nearly a year, and only today I find out you have a gun, and you've been on stakeouts. We really need to get to know each other better. I'm an open book, Tiberius. All you have to do is read me. "'Back to the plant,' I said, turning to Alyssa. "'What do you think?' There was a pause in the conversation as she played with the magnification on the microscope. Then, unsettling, yet fascinating. "'What is it?' Marlene asked. Alyssa turned to us. "'As I assumed from the pictures, this specimen does have both plant and human cells.' Even though I knew what her answer would be, I asked the obvious question. How do you think this was accomplished? Alyssa pushed back a strand of red hair and nibbled her lip as she considered the evidence before her. The only possible answer is CRISPR. But it is my understanding that you can't mix DNA from different species, I said. That's where you're wrong, Alyssa replied. That's the exact reason CRISPR was created. It's an extremely dangerous technology. Marlene pushed her nerd glasses up. I agree. It's like we're headed toward the island of Dr. Moreau. Any idea who could get their hands on this kind of technology here in Nevermore? I asked. Alyssa moved over to the computer. You'd be surprised at how easy it is to get your hands on a CRISPR kit and how relatively cheap it is. There's been a lot of discussion in the scientific community about the morality of it all. They've thrown morality out the window, Marlene said. Back in 2017, National Geographic published an article about how laboratories all over the world are engineering living human-pig hybrids. And that's only what these scientists have admitted to, so there's no telling what kind of monsters they aren't telling us about. So, Tiberius... "'You think someone here in Nevermore has a CRISPR kit "'and has spliced human and plant DNA to grow these organs?' "'Alyssa asked. "'I do, and I was hoping that you might be able to help us find out who.' "'She leaned against the counter and continued to nibble her lip "'as she considered her response. "'It seems that since you found this at the trailer park, "'it would be someone there.' "'Yes,' I replied. But it's a big community, and the management has a don't ask, don't tell policy about who lives there. All they require is that you pay your rent on time. Can you help narrow down our search? Possibly, she said. It would have to be someone with a medical or scientific background. But I don't see anyone with those skills living in that hellhole. Marlene sat on the counter, her legs dangling above the floor. She was slowly swirling her feet as she listened to the conversation. What if someone with those skills is living in the trailer park because they have been fired from their position for some reason? Maybe that's all they can afford now, or are they hiding out there? That makes sense, Alyssa said. I'll start by asking my contacts at the hospital, but if you're going to do a stakeout, why do you need the identity? Why not just wait and see who shows up? Stakeouts are dangerous, I explained. The more I know about the person who's doing this, the better I can assess the potential for violence. Oh, how I wish I could be there tonight, Elisa said. She looked over at the creature on the autopsy slab. But understanding what the hell that thing really is will be just as fun. "'I'll put some fillers out and see what I can do. "'Maybe I can get you a name.' "'We thanked Alyssa and headed back to the park. "'It was twilight when we parked behind a vacant trailer "'that sat across from the garden. "'Ivan let us in through the back door "'and we made our way to the front of the trailer "'where the boys sat in folding chairs in front of a window "'keeping an eye on the garden. "'There were chairs for me and Marlene "'and we sat as the boys brought us up to speed.' "'We been watching," Rory said. "This here trailer done got a good view.' "'And it has air conditioning,' Stevie added. "'Anything suspicious?' I asked. They shook their heads. It had already been a long day for them and would possibly be a long night, but they were excited with the thrill of the hunt. Marlene explained crisper to them, and I couldn't help but smile as their eyes shot wide with wonder. That'd be something like them old sci-fi movies my daddy and me used to watch, Rory said. Yeah, Stevie said, like the fly or the thing from another world. I noticed Ivan keeping a watchful eye on the boys, assessing their excitement. Remember to maintain situational awareness at all times, he said. We aren't immortal or bulletproof. This could be deadly, boys. The boys nodded their understanding. Yes, sir, Stevie said. It doesn't get fully dark until 9 p.m. during the Deep South summer, so we passed the next hour in meandering conversation. A few minutes before the sun slipped into its nightly grave, Elissa called me. I put her on speaker. Hector Carrion, she said. Up until three months ago, he worked in the lab over at the hospital. He was fired for stealing organs that had been harvested from donors. I looked over at Ivan, who nodded. We have a Hector Moody that moved in about three months ago. He must have changed his surname after getting fired, Marlene said. This is such a fun case. It might not be when I tell you the rest of the story, Alyssa said. The hospital directors kept his firing a secret, so not to get any negative press. They made Hector sign a non-disclosure agreement instead of prosecuting him. But my sources tell me that... He was eating the organs. Yuck, Marlene said, though she still looked as if she were having a great time. Damn, I said. I hate cannibals. How did he react when they fired him? My sources say he was eerily reserved, Alyssa replied. He said only two things when the directors confronted him. First, that he would abide by the terms of the agreement. "'And?' Marlene asked when Alyssa paused. "'He said that the organs were tasty. "'No one said anything for a moment. "'Finally, I thanked Alyssa and disconnected the call. "'I looked out the window. "'A full moon was rising over the treetops "'and cast the overgrown garden in an anemic glow. "'Because of the oak's massive branches and the high weeds, We could not see the hybrid stalk with its human hearts and eyeballs. But we did have a perfect view of the garden itself and would be able to see when Hector came to harvest this strange fruit. Not wanting to call attention to ourselves, we didn't turn on the lights. We sat in the dark, making small talk until a few minutes before midnight. Stevie leaned closer to the window. I think I see someone walking this way, he said. He had brought along a pair of old binoculars, and he used them to get a better look. Yeah, there's a guy. He's walking this way. I had my own binoculars, and I took a look. Hector Carrion walked down the dark lane toward the garden. There was enough moonlight for me to discern some details. He was short and skeleton thin. He had a shock of rat-colored hair and wore a pair of thick-framed glasses with round lenses. He wore an old pair of jeans and a t-shirt. He also carried a short-handled scythe with a gleaming blade. Not what I expected a cannibal to look like, Stevie said. He handed his binoculars to Rory. I could see that Ivan was ready to move. His jaw was clenched and his eyes were fixed in a glare. Remember, boys, he said just like we planned. When he gets into the garden, we sneak out and split up. Poe and Marlene will follow him into the garden, and we will enter from the far side so he can't escape. We all have flashlights, I said. When you hear me confront him, all lights come on. Shine them right in his eyes so that he can't see and is disoriented. And everyone be careful. Three of us had weapons. Marlene and I had our handguns, and Ivan had retrieved the shotgun he kept in a secret compartment in the golf cart. "'He done just walked into the garden,' Rory said. "'I can't see him no more.' "'Let's go,' I said. Marlene and I split from Ivan and the boys. We hurried across the lane and into the opening of the short trail that led into the garden. As we planned, I gave Ivan and the boys thirty seconds to get into position.' Then, Marlene and I began quietly making our way into the high grass and thick weeds. The others were moving toward us from the other side in a pincer move. The shadows were deep, but a beam of moonlight bled through the oak branches and spilled onto Hector as he stood beside the plant. He sliced one of the dark polyps from the stalk, then placed the scythe on the ground. He peeled apart the petals to reveal a human heart. He put the heart to his mouth and took a bite. Black blood spilled out over his mouth, and we heard him moan. I leveled my gun at him, switched on my light, and said, Don't move. Hector acted as if he had not heard me. Marlene held him in her sights and switched on her flashlight. Across from us, Ivan and the boys did the same. Hector was now awash in bright light. Yet he continued to chew on the heart, which spurted black blood down over his chin and hands. Look at me, Hector, I said. Now! He stopped gnawing on the heart and tilted his head in my direction. Blood smeared his face and dripped from his hands. But it's time to eat, he said. I was disgusted by Hector's statement. Drop the heart and put your hands up, I said. He hesitated, then looked over his shoulder at Ivan and the boys. Finally, he frowned and dropped the heart and put his hands in the air. I holstered my gun and walked toward him, kicking the scythe out of reach. I checked him for weapons, grimacing as I touched him. The whole time I did this, he stared blankly at the boys. I turned him to face me and he said, The youngest ones taste the best. I fought back the urge to put a bullet in his brain. How did you do this? And why? He shrugged. I have a genius IQ, he said. But I got too greedy at the hospital. I got caught taking my little feasts. My spine tingled when he referred to his cannibalism as his little feasts. He still hadn't answered my question. How did you do this? How did you create this hybrid plant? He looked hungrily at the stalk with the fruit of human organs. I used CRISPR. I created this to help me feed. He turned his eyes to mine. It's not the same as the real thing but it helps me not to have to kill so often. "'You sick bastard,' Marlene said. Her eyes did not waver, nor did her hand shake as she held her aim. "'How many of you killed?' Ivan asked. We were all surprised when Hector said, "'37.'" I heard someone approaching and saw that it was Sheriff Mosley. I had texted him when we left the trailer. He strode into the tiny clearing and took in the scene. He shook his head. Hit me. I brought him up to speed and said, his body count will likely clear up a lot of missing persons cases. Mosley turned to Hector. You killed 37 people? Yes, Hector said. And I ate their hearts and sucked on their eyes. Ivan raised his shotgun, but Mosley locked eyes with him and shook his head. Ivan grimaced and reluctantly lowered his gun. There needs to be justice. There will be, Ivan, Mosley said, but we have to follow the law on this one. What happens next? Marlene asked. Mosley turned and headed out of the garden. I'm parked just up the lane. Bring him along and let's get to his trailer and see what we find. Hector lived in Trailer 26. Inside, we found a home laboratory with a CRISPR kit and plant samples. We also found ten hearts and five sets of eyes in the refrigerator. It was nearing 2 a.m. when we left the trailer and stepped back out into the muggy night. Mosley said that he would have Alyssa and a couple deputies process the scene, and I told him I would gather everyone's statements. I looked over at Rory and Stevie. They were so young, yet had seen so much this past year. They had been forced to grow up faster than most boys, but they had done it with much grace. Um, guys, there's a problem, Marlene said. Hector, he's gone. What, Mosley said. Damn it. Hector had been handcuffed and locked in the back seat of Mosley's cruiser, but now he was gone. All four doors remained locked, and there was a metal screen that separated the front seat from the back, which served to protect the driver and stop any criminal from crawling over the seat and escaping. When Mosley unlocked the doors, he found the handcuffs lying on the seat. How in the world did he do that? he asked. Hector didn't seem as if he had paranormal powers. there be something in the front seat, Rory said. It looks like a note. "'said Stevie. "'Moseley opened the driver's side door "'and saw a piece of paper that had been torn "'from a notepad he kept in the glove box. "'It was folded in half, "'and someone had written, "'To the boys, on the side that was facing up. "'He unfolded the paper and saw that Hector "'had scrawled a short message to Rory and Stevie. "'What does it say?' I asked. "'Moseley looked at me then to the boys it says I'll taste you later we stood in silence sweating in the sticky southern night yet cold as frozen tundra on the inside the boys showed no fear though they did take a look over their shoulders that will never happen as long as I exist Ivan said he stood soldier straight with the deadly gaze of an assassin. It was Marlene who broke the tension. You are quite the badass, Ivan. Can I buy you a drink? Ivan scowled. Mosley grinned. The boys and I smiled. It has been said that the world is the devil's domain, and that he fights with horns and claws to rid it of the goodness that he so passionately hates. I believe it's true that he is the prince of this dark world and that Nevermore hollows is where he holds court i looked at these people who stood with me against the devil and his army of monsters and wicked men and i was thankful i know that while we may lose many if not most of our battles against the hateful bastard in the end goodness will prevail and he will be defeated that thought brought me comfort And when I saw the righteousness of purpose in the eyes of Ivan and Mosley and the wonder in the eyes of Marlene and the boys, I had no doubt that no matter what the devil threw at us, we were going to kick his ass.